0: Welcome in, folks. My guest today is going to be Jillian Botley. Jillian Botley was on the US ski team for more than a decade. She went to seven world championships. She was a two-time national champion, World Cup winner, including multiple podiums, and also a two-time Olympian. As well as being an excellent skier, Jillian was also on the United States cycling team. I hope you enjoy Jillian's story of successes and failures along the way. Perfect. Hey, Jillian, thanks for coming on. Robbie, thank you for having me. Absolutely. I really uh, appreciate it. I've been looking forward to doing this for a long time um, because I think that you have such a, hey, buddy. (laughs) Well, I guess first and foremost, are you staying safe with everything that's going on right now?
1: Yes. Yeah. We are social distancing well and uh, finding plenty of time to be outside and finding ways to enjoy ourselves and reinvent ourselves.
0: Well, that's good. You've been getting a lot of yoga in?
1: I'm not a big yogi. I should do more. Um okay. a, lot of, a lot of body movement. A lot of functional. Because when I
0: see you on Instagram, you're definitely doing a bunch of uh, functional stuff like that and everything else. So it's funny. I,
1: I focus on functional training and I slack with the stretching. I should be better.
0: <laughs> well, you know, maybe during this time, you could do a few classes or something like that because I know um, my fiance is trying to get me to do some more yoga while I've been stuck in self-quarantine. So I think that would probably be good for me a little bit a little bit more flexible probably wouldn't hurt anything
1: mobile pips right
0: yeah. <laughs> exactly so I don't think um, a lot of people know but for me like uh, growing up and as I was coming up in this sport and uh, you had such a dedicated and decorated career as a skier um, also as a cyclist as well and it's really was inspiring uh, for me to see your work ethic, you were just such a dedicated, hard worker. I mean, it always seemed that you outworked everyone, and it made such a really long, amazing career for you. I mean, you went to seven world championships. You were a two-time Olympian um, on the ski team for over a decade. Uh, multiple podiums on World Cups. I mean, just such such an amazing career. And I really just kind of want to get down to what what drove you where where wherever you want to start but I'd love to hear it
1: my mom says that I came into the world running right and I, I have to say I don't see myself of course I had some baseline talent you have to find the sport that best suits you but um, I I just always had that drive that fire that that, that wanting to get better to improve um, on on myself and for skiing, I think what really drove me was that pursuit of excellence for self. Everyone, I think there are a couple different ways that you can go into competitive sport. One is, here I am, turn on the lights, I'm ready. For yes. me, it was, oh my dear God, the lights are coming on. You're okay, just do what you love. So I was out there for that pursuit, for, for the betterment of self.
0: Awesome. So <laughs> I happened, how'd you find your way in skiing?
1: I, we moved to a little ski town in Western New York called Holiday Valley. The town is called Elkville, New York, but the resort was Holiday Valley. And I started skiing at the late age, I guess, <laughs> in our sport of ten. And with the East Coast moguls or the East Coast slopes, it's that blue ice. And I, my parents would, they'd drop my sister and I off at nine in the morning and pick us up at ten thirty at night. We'd have a, a dollar between the two of us and would just drink ketchup during the day. But it was we. Wow just started skiing, it was it was fun. I mean, it got us out of the house. We were out. out we're outdoor people, especially me. I'm happiest when I'm outside. And so, um, and on that blue ice, what led to mogul skiing, um, that was the only thing that could really slow you down. Yeah. <laughs> and every run is, is different, right? There's no perfect mogul run. Well, yeah. unless you're Kingsbury.
0: Well, unless you're Kingsbury, <laughs> exactly. At least <laughs> it seems that way. <sighs> so you uh end up making the ski team and that work ethic that's kind of built in you had to battle a few injuries a little bit earlier in your career as well right
1: throughout my career I actually had seven knee surgeries um I had two broken sternums one was from a car accident with the other one was from landing on my head with my first backflip um and then broken hand broken foot I don't know how many times I've hit my head that's not a these are not badges of honor. These are just
0: <laughs> Yeah.
1: <laughs> Back to the drawing board with each.
0: So okay. you get those
1: I'm so sorry? I was just gonna say that with one of my knee surgeries, I had a man come up to me and he was red right in the face and he was trembling. He was angry at me and he said, What are you doing? And I said, I'm rehabbing my knee. And he goes, What are you thinking? Why are you doing this? You're foolish, you're gonna have arthritis, you're gonna need a knee replacement. And I said, Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> I didn't need to defend myself. I said, that's your story. That's not my story. I'm into myself with everything that I do. I'm checking in. Is this worth going forward? Is it, is it foolish for me to return? So I was self-referencing with all of it.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, that's, it's crazy to think you had that, that amount of rehab. I think that's pretty inspiring for a lot of people in athletics in general, because, um, I know I had my own ACL. I know my fiance has gone through her rehab and stuff like that. And that is such a uh, dark place to be in. And really no one knows what rehab is like until you're on that road and you really find out who your friends are and who your family is because you are alone.
1: Yeah. And when your whole life is sport and suddenly it's taken away it becomes an extra dark place. That's where you identify yourself. That's who your identity is. And then that's gone. Boy, boy, where are you?
0: You think that helped with like your drive and you're like, not you know, that really makes you know that you're committed and that you want to keep kind of continuing and follow your dreams and aspirations.
1: Ultimately. Yes. I think I am such a, a doer, such a thinker, get it, get in there, work harder, work harder, work harder. Harder isn't always smarter. Right. So mm-hmm. for me, One of my injuries was before um, the O2 games and it was April Fool's Day of 01. And so going into 2002, I, I was totally a dark horse. There was no way I was going to make it. It was a finish area accident. I had six weeks on crutches there and I had to be back on snow in the summer. It's a a year long recovery, right? I had Mm -hmm. seven months to do it and stand on the podium and, and, but for me, for my type of personality in hindsight i look back at it and say that was good because i would have worked so hard and tripped myself up where and just overfocused. where with the injury i had to lift my head and go okay what can i do much like the times we're in now right what can i do i'm back to the drawing board mm-hmm. left foot right foot and re- reinventing and and just bettering myself as an athlete training smarter Just getting back to walking without crutches, really.
0: (laughs) So what was that experience like? Not only the vindication and kind of coming back that quickly, getting the results you need, and then you're in your first Olympics, 2002, and it's also on home soil.
1: What was that like? Yeah. Well, I've been asked, was it worth it? I mean, at that point, I'd been through three or four surgeries. Was it worth it to stand up there and just and to look out and see the crowd, see my family, see my friends, I can say to that, absolutely, it was. Yeah, all the pain, all the tears, all the who am I's. But but uh, that which I'm speaking about in sport comes to us in life, whether we want it or not. I think sometimes sport is just a fast track to it. You Number one, know yourself, right? And it's mm-hmm. when you're a judge sport, a subjective sport, you are <laughs> constantly being told you are not good enough. still not good enough. Next, 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 the next person's coming up. They're better, they're better. So you're continually having to prove it to yourself, maybe to the coaches, to the judges, to the whole thing. You're always, you're always on those, those on marbles, if you will. <laughs> yeah.
0: So after that, I mean, you really, you really start a pretty big upward trajectory in your, in your career because you start to uh, become very consistent. Not that you weren't before, but you probably dealt with more injuries and stuff like that. You're always coming back because I remember like, from 2003 to 2006, you were uh, back-to-back U.S. national champion, and then you ski in your next Olympics. You're like top consistently top six, seven, eight in the world.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, um, I think I was just at that point. I <laughs> I was just trying to enjoy it, just trying to drink it all in. Where those first years, I just was. I was it, would, it had become a job, and those those years after '03, I just I just put the smile on. I tried to see other sites and tried to enjoy the whole process.
0: So does that, do you think that that helps being able to enjoy the process, but also be very regimented because you're extremely dedicated, you're incredible hard worker. So how would you say there is that fine line to walk? Because for some people, they probably really don't work that hard and they don't have that kind of work ethics. So was it for you? You're like, Always chomping at the bit, so you got to kind of pull yourself back a little bit and just enjoy.
1: Yeah, for me, I definitely have to pull back and enjoy. It. <laughs> you know, I have to say also in those years, what I also stepped into was a lot of personal work. So, um, and it's the work that I do now with with my clients. I'm a wellness coach. I'm, I do shamanic work. I'm always looking at what's the root cause of why we do what we do. What causes this pattern? Why was I so intense those first years? Why did I feel the need? To have to continually prove myself first to me and then to the judges and so on and so forth. As I've, ever spoke of, as I've spoken about already, but so during those years, i would really gone back to the drawing board. What makes me tick? Why do I make these decisions every day? Mm-hmm. Why Why do I get up and do it? That's easy because I love it. Not everybody loves what they do. Some people never love anything they do. Mm-hmm. That the people around them, right? And they they're just unsettled in themselves. So I've done a lot of that work. I continue to do that work with myself, with others, but always looking in the mirror, saying how can I how can I be better, how can I be more, Yeah. whatever it is.
0: So what do you think helps uh, create a successful plan for, you know, um, pe- not just athletes but everyday people? Like what, what helped you kind of create your successful mindset? I mean, obviously you had that drive at an early age, but um, I feel like there's always more that plays out.
1: I, I think what, um, I don't know if any you've heard of the Cartman triangle, but they think this is very beneficial in that, um, the Cartman triangle is the victim triangle and okay. you're in a judged sport and you're not getting a, or life, <laughs> life can be judged right by the time. <laughs> There's the victim, the perpetrator and the rescuer. When you're in a judged environment, you can get stuck in the victim. Oh, well, the coaches didn't give me enough attention. My bindings weren't right. Or my, um, the judges just weren't looking, right? So to, I had to step out of that. I had to look at where that was, where that old story, that old pattern was really tripping me and then and figure out how to step out of that into the place of empowerment. Ultimately, you don't want to be anywhere on that triangle, the perpetrator, the rescuer or the victim. And so I, there's so much I can say on that and I can elaborate, but so I just off of that. So if you see most people interacting, uh-huh you just sit sit on a bench and even now watch people are in full on right now that I don't want to get into too much of this, but people are reeling and they're in their fear and it's almost like they're hopeless. Hopeless, mm-hmm. hopeless. That's that place of victim. Mm-hmm. You have to out of that to become empowered again and become you can be informed but not stuck in that fear. Okay. That place of being done unto or there's absolutely no I have no control, right? Ah that free fall is pretty frightening. Yeah. But you're you're well informed, you're not gonna walk into a dark alley and right right at night. You're going to you're just gonna go informed and you're gonna just bother me.
0: So what's the name of that again? I wanna write that down.
1: The Carpman Triangle.
0: Carpman Triangle, okay.
1: Or victim triangle.
0: Hmm. Awesome. Now so after what 2005 then you go in your second uh, olympics in 2006 and you really are at the forefront you're one of the first people to kind of be doing um new tricks and and uh what is it uh, cork seven so off access uh 720 for those of you that uh don't know in the sport no women are really competing that you're probably one or one of two or three, I think you were probably the first one to do a, a cork seven, right, not D spin, which is more like inverted off access so um, and I remember it was what Rick Shaner was kind of helping you. I remember at the water amps and you were working on that
1: so the difference between the two, as you already stated, um, with, I think with the D spin you can see coming out of it, the cork is like throwing a cat out the window and you're spinning and you're coming in blind. <laughs> Yes, I was the first woman to do that in the Olympics, and it wasn't until this last games that another woman did it. Um,
0: Which is—it's remarkable that you know you were that far. I mean, that's what almost 15 years ago. I mean, that's a long—I mean, it's a long time ago. Yeah, that's a long it, time ago.
1: Going into it, so this will—it might explain a little bit more about me. Here comes my pup. Hello, Muba. <laughs> <laughs> Is I knew going into that game that if I stuck to the plan of the helicopter backflip, mm-hmm. I potentially I would do much better. But I couldn't. I couldn't do it. it if I check, knowing myself, checking into myself, checking in with myself, I couldn't. It didn't. I felt ill at the thought of doing that. I was compromising my very core. So I stuck to that plan. The first run I didn't do it. The second run I did. But that was my plan to do all along. And so for me, that was, that was success.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it's helped, uh, I mean, progress the sport. Because now, I mean, you have a lot more uh, women that are kind of out doing that. And not only, I mean, I think it inspired a lot of guys as well. Because there's not like a lot of that kind of, you know, they, they had just started to do that for a couple of years. It was what, 2004? And then right after that, it was you, Kari Tra, Margarita Marbler maybe that was kind of throwing some of those off-axis maneuvers.
1: Right, right, right. Yeah, Kari did the beat. It's been in 2006. Well, And thank you for saying that because as you look back, unless you won a medal, you wonder, do, do people recognize that? And not that they need to, but you, you hope, my hope was to make a difference.
0: Yeah, and that's, Oh, I live one night. I remember. <laughs> and also as well, if people, I know that video is up on YouTube. So if you YouTube uh, Jillian Botley, like 2006 Olympics, it's a pretty sweet Cork 7 on the bottom air. So nicely done. Way to represent the U.S. today.
1: Judges didn't know what to
0: do with it. Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> so... Next in next Olympics, you finished two thousand six, and where do you want to keep going for another cycle or?
1: It'd I stick around till two thousand
0: ten. Two thousand ten was
1: your last. A more injuries, and then I just I did when I didn't make 010, I just done.
0: That's a that's a lot of uh, longevity, especially for the sport of mogul skiing. For those that don't know, they usually do not last that many. Uh, that long of a time, so that I think also speaks to your uh, hard work and dedication.
1: Thank you. Every year I would ask myself, is this, does this still feed your soul? Because that's really the place that I come from. And I knew the last time I stood in the gate, I remember looking over at Sylvia Kerfoot from Team Canada and I looked at her and I had tears in my eyes because I knew that was it. And she was there at my first event and she was there at my last, so it had come full circle. And then I looked around at the other competitors and I was done.
0: And it was good.
1: Mm. Yeah. Of course, there's sadness because there, I have such a love of the sport, but my life is about to change.
0: And change is always uh, – it's a little scary, but it's good, right?
1: Good, yeah, yeah, which brings us to <laughs> – retirement can be, can be one of the hardest things. That's where a lot of people fumble.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And right. did, yeah. did it take you a little bit to kind of figure out your path and where you wanted to go? Or were you – yeah, it did
1: it did i think it's so i was going from traveling maybe 300 days a year some of it was personal i was on sorry sorry
0: no
1: my phone um traveling 300 days a year to what
0: yeah
1: (laughs) so what do you mean i have to stay home and i have to actually get into a routine i don't know if i want a routine yeah and so it was that rebuilding of self I um, spoke to Chris Waddell, for those of you that don't know, he has been to what, how many, do you know Chris Waddell? Uh-huh, yeah. He's summer, winter Paralympian, and he, he's one of the most decorated athletes ever. How many medals does he have? I always joke with him and say it's 25, but and it might be 13. Crazy, get, yeah. So he lost the use of his legs, and I hope it's okay that I'm sharing this. He lost the use of his legs when he was 18, 19 years old, and he said it was harder to retire from sport because of that identity change. And mm-hmm. so you just have to go back you have to take your intensity somewhere else, right? That pure drive and put it into something else. And so that can leave you in a bit of a free fall.
0: Mm-hmm. So where did you kind of find your footing?
1: I think for me, I'm, I like to, to be there for others. And with the work that I do, I immediately went into coaching, which was nice for me. I was complete. I, of course, I didn't have my Olympic medal, but I, I ha- was complete in myself and I felt like feel like I live life with such passion, I was then able to give it to the athletes. You know, when I wasn't coaching, I could take it elsewhere. Now my coaching has become um, the, the wellness coaching, which is looking at the physical, the emotional, the mental, the spiritual, all aspects of the pie of the individual and bringing people, helping people to identify their patterns and look at where, they're, where there might be imbalances and bringing to them to the best version of themselves or the best that they dare to be. Mm-hmm. So that's what helped me. But it took me a year or two because I had I had my son in 2011, and so that 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 was totally different. No yeah. longer anything yeah. about me was all about him, and so of yeah, a couple of years yeah. of presenting
0: was that a big goal? Like as well, is that something you know you always wanted to have kids and stuff like that? Yes. Good. <laughs> I'm glad that you were able to uh, get away from him for a little bit to at least like uh, shoot this I'm, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course I appreciate it. <laughs> now, also I see that bike back there. So not to like go back a little bit, but you were a pretty successful uh, cyclist as well, right?
1: Well, I, I had hoped to be in, yes, that was my, my plan was in 02, um, I was being interviewed in the finish area and the interviewer asked me, now what? And I said, Athens, Greece, 2004. And my mom though, was standing over my shoulder. She goes, what? And I said, I don't know. It just came out. And ah. so, and <laughs> and I tried out with Team USA Cycling for, um, for track, mm-hmm. for the Velodrome. And you either have it or you don't. They test a variety of skills. And I made the US team. And so I was com- competing in the track, sprint race. Oh, my gosh. And, but for me, I needed to go against the clock. I'd been judged for so many years. I just needed the clock. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it, was, it was wonderful. And I actually called up my coach at the time, Donnie St. Pierre, and I said, give my spot away. I'm done. And he goes, ah, you're yeah, right. Until that fall, I called him and I said, okay, I'm coming back. And he said, I knew you weren't done. So, but it was, it was really great. So I pursued that until I couldn't pursue it anymore. When I was for sure not in the running for Athens, I was mm-hmm. and I came back to my sport.
0: Now, how much of a of a different transition is that? I mean, did that help in your training for? I mean, because it's all against the clock, and that's.
1: It wasn't just that; it was the body type. So, uh-huh. like, with sprinters, you're basically a bodybuilder on a bike. I mean, I saw women snapping their handlebars, stripping their cranks. It, I mean, and my quads are probably twice the size they were needed to be when I was skiing. And you know, mogul skiers have some quads. But I mean, Absolutely. I remember trying to tie my shoelaces, and I could barely reach my shoelaces. Not because I had a gut, but my quads were so big. Really? Story. So I needed to lose that bulk going out of it. I just had a couple months to do it going into the season. Wow. But oh my daughter, I was strong. I was <laughs> 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 strong. And when you have that much size, I lost some of the spring.
0: Okay, some of the explosiveness. Now, so where would you go to compete for that? Where does that? Did, would you kind of travel around for that as well?
1: Colorado Springs. So I was oh, there. Okay. And in Town, and so.
0: so the love for biking uh, hasn't gone anywhere. Though you still still get out a lot.
1: You know, I'm a mountain biker at heart. Okay. You know, I'm at heart. Yeah, I'm a mountain girl gotcha get me away from pavement I mean that was just where I knew I had the most power there and I was too big to be a mountain biker I would have needed to lose probably 30 pounds at the time okay
0: yeah that's that seems like it's such a big uh, to be able to transition like that and be able to kind of do both for a couple years is pretty pretty remarkable
1: well, that's why I landed on my head doing my first backflip, too. <laughs> that was great as a sport. So, for those of you that wouldn't know, in 2002, up to 2002, it was deemed too dangerous to have your feet above your head. And then Johnny Mosley came in and did the dinner roll, and his, and then they, which was an all, I, I don't know what it was. That <laughs> was a version of the D-spin. Version of the D-spin? Yeah. But he, anyway, he progressed the sport. And then the next year, so between 2002 and 2003, a lot of people retired because. Mm-hmm was scary to suddenly allow your feet to go over your head because it was no longer a question of blowing a knee now it was your spine Mm -hmm. and that's pretty scary I mean now kids are growing up on the trampolines on the water ramps and they have that cellular memory going in to take it to snow a lot quicker yeah they've done
0: such a better job too just with like they have back braces mouth guards I mean it just used to be like a helmet and yeah, coaches
1: that have actually done the tricks. So I was in I was there throughout the time when coaches didn't know the tricks, they'd never done them. They'd read them in a book and that's a very I, I couldn't coach you from a book as well as I could from feeling it and experiencing it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So after you retire from skiing, you kind of get in and um you <laughs> what?
1: Rick, Shaner.
0: <laughs> Rick Shainer. Rick Shaner. Oh yeah, Shainer's the man. The man, the myth, the legend, right? Uh, so you go in and you start doing. You work with Rosie, who is always your big sponsor, right? Always took very good care of you. Now you've been helping them back, and you kind of it's it's called We Rise. Is that the name of the program?
1: It's a women's movement. Yes, We Rise is a community. We Rise is sisters, mothers. It's,
0: it's beautiful. I it can.
1: I can pull it up and read it to you verbatim, but it's quite beautiful.
0: So how did that uh, come, come about? How did they create that?
1: So that was um, that is a very good question. So Dina Star, Rozzy, are sister companies, and mm. I remember Tate Wardlaw, law I because I was on Rozzy Dina Star much of my career. Um, Tate brought me in when I retired, and he said, I want you to be at the forefront when we do the wi- for the women's product. And I said, okay, what does that look like? And it took a few years to evolve and then Margie McCone with Rozignal and um, with Rosignol USA and France came together, we came together and started working on the We Rise project. And it's just, how did that come about? It comes about from, there aren't as many women in sport, and so those of us that are kind of more at the forefront want to bring others in and bring everyone together. And also, yeah, it's just people are lonely, and they need community, and it's about bring, helping each other stand up together. That's a not great cause. It's about me. It's about coming in together.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, it's such a great cause. I've seen a bunch of it on uh, your Instagram and stuff like that. I know you were skiing with them, kind of right up until this whole kind of closure and everything kind of got shut down. Right, you were up at Snow Basin skiing with. Yeah,
1: I did. was headed to Steamboat, and but there have been nine camps throughout the world for We Rise, so it's not just me. Mm-hmm. Allen's doing them in Canada, um, and then there are some French women doing them. Trance. So it's it's a really beautiful thing. And so also just to your to your question, how did it come about? I went to Margie and I said, I'm teaching these camps with you guys, or I show up just for a demo day, and I end up with these women that are on tears. And I realize <clears throat> that there are so many women that are so down on themselves because in truth our society prizes the 20-year-old woman with the perfect everything. Mm-hmm. And then that so that they don't prize depth or anything beyond that and then when they're 30 40 80 they feel like they're invisible and so when I'm coaching these women they're in tears and I think we're talking about a turn but ultimately we're talking about their self-worth And if I can make somebody feel a little bit better in themselves whether I'm coaching 10 year olds I don't care how good you are at what you do or I'm coaching a 70 year old or 89 if I can let you help you to feel a little bit better about yourself and walk out of there taller it doesn't matter what you're doing in sport it's how you feel as a person
0: yeah it's such such an amazing cause it's great that you're able to help help Thank those you. ladies out
1: near and dear to my heart Thank
0: you. so was this the first year that they have done that or has this kind of been around for a couple of years
1: this was the year that rossignill introduced it okay I so
0: think 20 that... this this winter season was the first year that they've had it and are they pretty happy with how everything's gone so far yes yeah. good yeah. so there'll be more
1: there will be more.
0: Perfect. That's a good thing. More inspiring. <laughs> now, also, you've been doing a little bit of uh, jewelry making as well, right?
1: Yes. I am um, a big fan of Sundance jewelry, and I've been, I would admire it for years. And then I started making jewelry in 2004. And that's something that's a side business. And it, it's really, I don't sit still very well. Not surprised you with all this but uh, but it, it's my meditation it, it, it allows me to sit and focus and and i love it of, uh, a dear teacher and mentor of mine she said jillian you don't just build jewelry you be, build goddesses you help to get so i like to build pieces that have yeah. meaning that somebody can put them on and again when you see the theme they feel a little bit better about themselves
0: very cool excellent so when you're in talking to these women, you're talking about uh, trying to work on their turn and different things like that. What What's always kind of your main breakdown of trying to create, uh, whether you're trying to build somebody up or you're trying to talk about success or drive, what, what do you think some of those keys are?
1: I think it's whatever's going on in our lives shows up in anything that we do, right? So with the women um, at Snow Basin, for example, we'd start each day with a stretch and we're talking and I'm, I'm trying to bring them to the place of, of moving through their day consciously rather than subconsciously. And so I hit them pretty hard with one that I would challenge you all to do, but to identify the three biggest lies that you tell yourself, right? Okay,
0: yeah, no, I'm sure.
1: So the big thing and, and continually addressing that, not to flog ourselves, but to bring these, these shadow pieces, if you will, to light to the forefront so that then we can go. Oh, isn't that interesting? Rather than handling it and going, oh, of course, I think that that's so stupid. Of course, I'm going to think that. Instead, handle yourself with kids' gloves. Just bring it to the forefront so you can go, oh, I keep telling myself, one, I'm not good enough. Woo, that really hits me in the gut. Oh, um, OK. OK, let me just sit with it. Let me just hold it. Where did I learn that? And peeling back that onion. So starting there
0: back the, so three biggest lies kind of bringing that out and acknowledging them and all and so that just kind of peel peels away some of the layers
1: well yeah that's one step so and then we, we end up on the mountain mm-hmm. yeah so addressing those areas and there's so much more I mean that's just I'm just just trying to so many people are walking asleep and I just it's just that little tap to say, wake up, wake up, be conscious. Maybe brush your, you've heard this, stand brush your teeth with your other hand, right? Yeah. Um, drive a different way. Do um, just, just mix things up so that you're conscious and not just sleeping through what you're doing.
0: Yeah. I think yeah. that happens with, with a lot of different people that just seem to feel like they're going through the motions, whether they're in their training or work or just like life. They're not actually... Being in the moment, being conscious in that, so I think that's that's definitely a great takeaway for for people to really try to be cognizant of being in the moment and being present.
1: Grocery store, you look the cashier in the eye. You know, I will tell you the other day, I was at the um, grocery store at Smith's, and I walked up to the the shelf to stalker, and I said, "Excuse me," and he looked at me, ready to get hit with something, and I said, "I just wanted to say thank you," and he goes, and I said. I know you're working long hours. Thank you. And he went, oh, "You're welcome." And so it's just being aware, be conscious of others and in, in
0: yeah,
1: where they're at. No, think,
0: yeah, that's quite profound, especially with everything that's going on right now. You know, I mean, I feel like that's a good, uh, certainly a good takeaway with even you know saying thank you, things like that. Just just make sure you're six feet away.
1: <laughs> yes, exactly, and definitely.
0: Now, um, so you're also do some uh, fitness instructing as well, right? Or is that all kind of included with your wellness that you
1: do? I love the same umbrella, but most people understand the physical the best. Yeah, and so with the with the personal training, the physical end of things, I'm I'm looking at so what I have pulled from are all the backgrounds of everything I've done, right? All my training, all my all my studies, and pulled it into my own my own version of, and I'm looking at, I spent all those years in the gym throwing around all those weights. And now I'm, I'm probably lifting five and 10 pound weights, maybe Mm. kettlebells that are heavier, but I'm just looking at longevity of the body. And because of all of my injuries, I feel like, so I'm crawling on that, that physical therapy aspect too, um, where the body is where I'm really focused on proper form and making sure as you're looking forward to your hundredth birthday, you, you still have that movement.
0: Awesome. Yeah, that's re- that. There's a lot going on with that right now with longevity and everything else.
1: Living longer, but and most people end up in homes because they lose their balance. They don't have that proprioceptive awareness or strength, and so that lateral movement, they just don't have it. And most, I can't say most. That's not fair. Um, a lot of times, what's focused on are those main muscle groups, so quads, glutes, hamstrings, core, and there's so much more to us. We don't. <laughs> We don't load the dishwasher like this. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we need to have that that mobility, that range, functionality of movement. Very cool. So if I slip, I know that that I right, you know, from skiing we learn a lot of that that fore aft. If we slip as we're walking on ice, we know what to do. We pull our feet back under. Most people go stiff, whether mm-hmm. I'm skiing or anything, or walking on ice and they're down like that and then they're on their hip or they hit their heads or We want to avoid all of that.
0: So a lot of the – is your programming, will it be um, fairly – is it like three days a week that you'll do, or is it like daily things that you'll kind of build in, or how how does that work?
1: It depends on the needs of the individual. So I've worked with individuals trying to make national teams for a variety of sports, fencing even, right? Um, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: But then I also – I've worked with a lot of individuals who have had hips, knees, all this on and shoulders replaced, right? So I'm work, I'm running the gamut with the individual. So it, it depends on what they need and how how I build the program. I don't have a one size fits all.
0: That's pretty and nice.
1: I'm not really looking at of course aesthetics is always nice, but I want I want people to have that feeling their joints feeling good.
0: Yeah, I feel like that gets pretty often uh, overlooked. A lot of people are definitely concerned about the
1: aesthetics,
0: right? <laughs> What are you going to do with any of that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, I uh, really appreciate you uh, coming on and taking the time to uh, chat with me. Thank you. And um, there's a few things people can obviously see you on uh, Rosignol, uh, their Instagram, social media there. You have your own, right? What is that?
1: Jillian V underscore.
0: Jillian V underscore. Perfect. And then also a place they can find some of your wellness stuff.
1: <laughs> as I was telling Bobby this morning, I just realized my <laughs> my website is down, but that will come back up and maybe I could um, just say, I'll contact you Bobby and we can link it. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Dot com. Um, but we'll see if it comes back as that. Everything's yeah. evolving and changing in these times, right? And so- yeah, Absolutely. But my, my, what I'll be doing from here with my with my Instagram page, with my YouTube channel, and with my website is I'm going to be bringing in um, components of what we can work on for all aspects of, of growth, right? Looking at the mental, emotional, physical, and the spiritual again in ways that people are in need of tools. There's a lot of freaking out going on. And so sharing those tools to help them get to that place of, of calm and non, in a non-reactionary way, being able to
0: with awareness. Great. Well, thank you very much, Jillian. And what's the, uh, what's the YouTube channel?
1: Jillian Botley. Jillian Botley. O-G-T-L-I.
0: Perfect. Well, thanks a lot, Jillian. I really appreciate it. All right. Bye, everybody. See ya. you enjoyed this episode, folks. Thanks a lot. Please like, share, and subscribe. This is your host, Bobby Carroll, signing off.